Your Bibles are open right now, Romans chapter 13. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse number 11. Before we do, let me ask you a question. And I don't want you to raise your hand, okay, because I don't want to know that this might be you. But how many of you answer this in your mind? How many of you have ever fallen asleep at the wheel before? So again, yeah, I can tell by some of the expressions on your face. Um, you know, it is a dangerous thing, and so I'm not making light of this. To fall asleep behind the wheel of a vehicle is something that, of course, through the, through the course of a year, it's going to claim lives because someone fell asleep at the wheel. Sometimes we even use that as a, a matter of expression. Hey, 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 come on now. We, we don't want to fall asleep at the wheel. And we understand that there is some urgency, some severity about the consequence if that's what happens to us. And if you ever have fallen asleep at the wheel, and, and sadly I can say that, that I know that experience. I can remember driving, sometimes we'd say, I'm going to drive all night. And as a, as a college student, I'm going to get home and I'm going to drive all night. And, and sometimes just, you know, as a, as a young married and, and, and we're going to drive all night and and so you start out and then about three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, your eyes are very heavy. And they become so heavy that they, they close slowly and open slowly. And then the, the image in front of you becomes just like this singular image. It's hard to focus on anything and the, the monotony of the lines that pass by, almost this, this hypnotic presentation that just continually lulls you into sleep and then finally your eyes close slowly and they do not open and then the vehicle slowly drifts and if we're fortunate enough to have the vehicle drift in a certain direction there is typically some kind of a strip on the side that arrests your attention and how many of you know that feeling, again, sadly, some of us do, how many of you know that feeling that when the car drifts over to the side and, and now you're at that place where, where something in the pavement begins to make this noise that alerts you, you're driving at a place you're not supposed to be driving. How many of you know that like just jolt of adrenaline that courses through your body? And at that moment, you went from being quite uh, comfortable to having your heart pounding and your eyes wide awake and then you're rolling down the window and you're driving with your head out the side of the window. Why are you doing that? Because I was, I was dangerously close to some kind of peril and I was asleep and now I'm awake. And this is the idea that we start to find ourselves in in Romans chapter 13, when we approach verse number 11, the apostle apparently understands that believers can have the tendency to some form of comfort that is not healthy. In fact, some slumber that is not to be commended. We all know that we rest in Jesus Christ. Some of you claim that on a Sunday morning. I was just resting in Jesus. Okay, That's not what he's talking about here. There is some slumber that's unhealthy for the believer, some sleep that is not commendable, some rest that we are to be awakened from. 
You almost get the idea that, that the urgency of the hour demands our utmost attention and that we would do anything necessary to, again, jolt ourselves awake. You can picture Christ in the garden and, and he says, watch and pray. What was it that was just in a matter of hours on the horizon for Jesus and for his followers? They didn't know how close they were to the life-changing events of Calvary. Could you not watch with me one hour? In the passage that's in front of us, we also notice something else that I want to mention at the beginning of this message. And really, it, it is something that's fitting for this whole section of the book of Romans. Remember, in the first half of Romans, he is wonderfully detailed regarding the doctrine, the principles of the Christian life. And he starts to walk us through those in such a logical progression that we see, okay, this truth is built upon this truth. And, and because this is true, then this is true. And that means that this is also part of the Christian way. And the Apostle Paul, with a mind that we still stand back in awe and wonder, and we see how the Holy Spirit has, has taken these truths and worked them for us today. We see the doctrine that's presented. But in the section of Romans we're in right now, we went from belief, this is what we believe, to behavior. This is how we act. The two are not inseparable. I think there's been a, a push today in Christianity to separate the two. That, you know, it really just, your belief is the only thing that matters. Well, not according to the book of Romans. The book of Romans says, this is what we believe. And because this is what we believe, this is how we behave. Now, we'll also note that the Apostle Paul doesn't, in this last section of Romans, he doesn't continually go back to, okay, now let me again explain the belief. He's anticipating, expecting that what we learned in the first half, we're going to make ready application to the second. So please know, today one of the challenges that we face is, is when we're walking through this, it's like, okay, he's covering a lot of behavior. Maybe we should go back and... No, 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 we're, we're going to cover behavior, but we're doing so with his expectation. That we take the beliefs that we got in the first half and we behave now in a manner consistent with how we believe. This is not just a, a uh, okay, j go do this and you'll be the, the Christian you're supposed to be. No, I'm going to do this because I believe what Christians believe. Romans chapter 13, let's start in verse number 11. Romans 13, beginning in verse number 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Oh, he just told us to wake up. That it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when, when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. He just told us to clean up. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. He just told us to dress up. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The title of our message today is taken from our text. It is wake up, clean up, dress now he's going to break again this passage down both um, practically and logically because these things flow with impeccable logic. I, I can't clean up until I wake up. 
I can't dress up until I clean up. All of these follow a logic that is dependent upon our beliefs. You can't just go immediately to the do, to the behavior. It has to be connected to what we believe. Let's begin breaking this down as did the Apostle Paul for us. And let's begin with it's time to wake up. There is some urgency again. We're hearing the rumble strip on the side of the road. There should be some adrenaline kick that says, wow, look at how close I was to some danger. Romans chapter 13, again, verse number 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The dictionary defines sleep as this, a condition of body and mind, where the activity of the brain is altered, and consciousness of our surroundings is practically suspended. I am in some altered state when I am asleep. And of course, there is physically speaking a necessary time for sleep, but Paul uses it here in another realm. And we see that spiritually speaking, it is not the time for the church or for its members in particular. It is not the time for us to be asleep. He's saying, do you understand how close you are to something It is high time that we awake, he says, from our slumber. Normally, for me, I wake up at a certain time, and I do so just kind of automatically, just because it's been routine for a lot of years. So typically, I don't use an alarm clock. I just wake up. I wake up at 5.30 every morning, except for almost every morning, except for two mornings. Friday morning, because we have men's prayer breakfast. So I get up a little earlier on our men's prayer breakfast days so that I can do some things in the morning and then go to men's prayer breakfast. And then Sunday morning, I wake up a little bit earlier on Sunday morning. So those two days I use an alarm. This last Friday morning, I don't know what happened. Has anybody ever had your phone change all by itself? Okay. I don't know what happened, but um, I am in blissful slumber when all of a sudden... My phone, which I use as my alarm clock, went off. And quite frankly, I thought the rapture was taking place, okay? I mean, something, this this phone is just like going off in ways. And I'm telling you, the alarm jolted me wide awake. When I was in college, I was just thinking about this. When I was in college, I had a roommate who is today one of my very best friends. His name's Bob Mack. He's a missionary in, the, in, in West Africa in Ivory Coast. Wonderful friend, wonderful guy. But Bob Mack had an alarm clock in college that was, I think, I don't use this lightly, I think it was I think it was, um, I don't know, we do believe in a dark world, and this one was empowered by darkness, okay? When that alarm clock would go off, I mean, if I mimicked it right here, I would frighten people, okay? When that thing would go, I'd say, Bob, you got to do something. He's like, no, 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 it gets me up in the morning. When that thing would go off, I mean, the whole floor woke up, okay? I disassembled his alarm clock. Literally, I disassembled it. I took it all apart, and I snipped the speaker wire. It was one of the most glorious days of my life, okay? I cut the thing because that alarm clock was so jarring. I'm like, I have to have some relief from this. Of course, he hooked hooked it up again. He sent it to me one year. He, He gifted it to me. 
I mailed it back to West Africa, okay? This is a, it is a bad thing, all right? Now, hopefully some of you know, like, I know the kind of alarm clock you're talking about. It, It is the idea that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here. He's trying to say there should be some jarring awareness that that brings us into a conscious realm that I was kind of getting lulled into some comfortable sleep. And now there's something that has just jarred me into an awareness of how close I was to danger. Remember in scripture, there are basically three tenses regarding our salvation past salvation in the past when I was saved I'm saved at that moment from the penalty of sin and then in the present I I'm being saved from the power of sin I have victory over and then in the future we will be saved from the presence of sin when when Paul says for now is your salvation nearer than when he's saying listen we're talking about your future salvation We're talking about basically two things, really the day of the Lord. When the Lord comes again and he calls the church home and and wow, I I am caught up to be forever with the Lord. What a glorious day that will be. The church has always looked forward with anticipation to that day. It could be through the course of this service. But, But it also may be that our day, mine or yours ends, we're closer to the finish line than we anticipated. And Paul says there is something to do. There's work that needs to be accomplished. There's there's a path that needs to be followed. Don't get so close to the end that you lose what you have been nurturing and caring for, stewarding over the course of your life. He says, wake up. How many of you have ever known someone who was a follower of Jesus Christ, but at some point, closer to the end of their journey, they veered off. They're no longer walking with the Lord. They're no longer doing those things that that are part and parcel of the Christian life. And we stand back and we scratch our head and we say, wow. Do you know we're told that coming down from a mountain, climbing is actually more dangerous than climbing up. Sometimes we get to that peak and we've ascended and it's like, hey, I did it. No, 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 there's still still another part of that journey left. And, And we have to be careful of that one footstep after another. Paul is shaking us awake, attempting to startle us to consciousness and awareness of the urgency of the hour. Do you remember in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? Right towards the end of the pilgrim's journey to the celestial city in this powerful allegory of the Christian life, Pilgrim comes with his fellow travelers upon a place called the Enchanted Grounds. The enchanted grounds. And as they entered into it, it was a very dangerous place close to the finish line. And they get there and the fog is so thick. And as they enter the enchanted grounds, a weariness comes over them that is so challenging. Oh, just a little rest. Just just a little break. There are these arbors in the midst of this thickness that that looks so appealing and they saw two that were actually resting in the arbors and they went over with an attempt to wake them and when they would shake them or speak loudly to them they would offer words and the children with them would laugh because they were nonsensical they were still lost in their slumber not to be roused 
Please don't confuse this by, by thinking. He's saying that, that a Christian should never rest. I'm not saying that. He's saying that we just have to keep work, work, work. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is an urgency about what we are to do. And we're not to be lulled into some sense of sleep and slumber. A, 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 a little more sleep. A little more slumber. A little more folding of my spiritual hands to rest. God, I am so close. May I not lose sight of the celestial city that is just beyond. Paul uses this language when writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. He said, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Do you know every day you and I are getting a little bit closer. He says, awake to righteousness. There's something to do. Every day we're a little bit closer. He says, keep alert. Stay focused. You're almost there. Someone once said, every day we pitch our tent a day's march nearer home. We're getting closer. Have you ever woken up in the middle of, of sleep before? Like, have you ever done any sleepwalking before? Like you were so tired or whatever, and, and now your body starts to do things and, and you wake up. Have you ever woke up somewhere before you were sleepwalking? And when you woke up, you looked at your surroundings and you say something like, how in the world did I get here? Do you know spiritually what a dangerous thing when we finally come to our senses and we see how far we have strayed and we say, how in the world did I get here? What am I doing here? This is inconsistent with who I am. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. How did I get here? Be because a little more sleep. Oh, it's not that important. It's no big deal. Those things that we once fought for to hold on to, we have let slide. This idea of, of keeping that which we have already attained to, again found all throughout Scripture, we're being exhorted here to hold fast to both doctrine and duty that have been given to us. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, hold fast that which is good. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Revelation 2.25, Jesus, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. You have something, I'm coming, hold fast. What have you once held to that has now experienced a loosening of the grip? Your Bible reading, your faithful witness, commitment to church, finding a way, a means by which you can serve. Consistency in giving, carefulness with entertainment, a relaxed view of the name of God, your diligence at work to give an honest day's work for an agreed upon wage. On and on we could go. Each of us have to ask, am I living in a manner consistent with what I once held on to? Now, again, there are those things that we're supposed to, in a sense, lay aside. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I'm not saying we hold on to those things that marked us as a child spiritually. But I am saying there are some things that we attained unto. And those are the things that we're to build on to continue the walk with Christ 
on this journey to home. The first thing that he begins with is he says, it is time to wake up. But he doesn't stop there. And again, he makes this wonderful progression for us. He says, okay, it's time to wake up. And then notice where he goes next. It's time to clean up. It's time to clean up. Look at verses 12 and 13. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Okay, so again, let's break this verse down to give us some context. What is it that the apostle is helping us to understand here? The words, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. This indicates that for God's people, the present era of darkness and sin and sadness is rapidly coming to an end. The never-ending age of light, holiness, gladness, this is very near. So because our time is brief, he goes on, he says, throw away those things that are inconsistent with who you are. Okay, that little phrase, it's a beautiful phrase, let us walk honestly as in the day. Walk honestly. In other words, it'd be disingenuous for me to present myself as one thing when that's not truly who I am. Have you ever heard about people who present credentials that are not truly theirs? Like they say they served in the military or they, they were in this campaign, but it's not really true of who they are. A person who says, I'm a medical doctor or I'm an airline pilot or whatever, but they're not really presenting that which is true. He says, let us walk honestly as in the day. Let's understand it like this. I am a believer. I know Jesus Christ personally. He says, nobody should be confused about this. Let's walk honestly. Okay, I'm, I'm going to walk as a child of God. My, my dad is Jerry. My mom is Joanne. Do you know, I'm supposed to walk in a manner consistently presenting some honor to my dad and mom so that everybody knows, oh, that's Jerry and Joanne's kid, Jeff. Honestly, isn't the day. For me to act like, oh, I don't know them, that's dishonest because those are my parents. For the Christian, for us to walk in such a way that others look at our lives and they see Jesus Christ, I'm walking in a manner truly consistent with who I am. This is what he's calling us to do. And I also appreciate that he does this. He says, let us walk honestly as in the day. Do you know what he doesn't say here? He doesn't say, hey, you should walk honestly the Apostle Paul says, this is for all of us. This is as true for me as it is for you. That's what he's saying. Do you know there, there are no exemptions for these implications in Scripture. This applies to all of us. Sometimes when we start to get a little bit older in our years, we're more mature in the faith. We've walked with Jesus for a lot of years. We sometimes start to look at others and say, hey, uh, you need to make sure you're walking. And he says, Paul says, listen, let us. This is for me. This is for you. Let all of us walk honestly as in the day. And then he gets really specific. He doesn't just speak in generalities. Hey, let's, let's do better in our Christian walk. Now he's saying, okay, we, we've already covered belief. Now let's get right down to behavior. And he says, not in rioting and drunkenness. Today, if we tried to define this, we would say that's the party lifestyle. When I was in college, I worked at a factory in the summers to help pay for college. And um, working in a factory, I was really, in a sense, kind of, wow, that really happens. 
people would work for Friday to see how drunken they could become, intoxicated, and for how long through the course of the weekend. You know, the, the expression, working for the weekend. And so now, I just want to see, they're, they're going to come to work on Monday, still hung over from the weekend. When he says, not in rioting and drunkenness, that really is what he's addressing in, in the culture, the lifestyle of his day that would parallel the lifestyle of ours. And then he goes on, he says, not in chambering and wantonness. Chambering. That one is not so difficult for us to understand. In fact, our culture has some parallels as well. Chambering. Let's understand that by just understanding the word chamber. Chamber. You say, well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about that, that chamber that is reserved for marriage. So he says, not in chambering. That's the expression that would be used like, hey, why don't you come over to my place? This is casual. This is just for fun. This is, there's no commitment here. Let's just be involved in what's referred to here as chambering. Come on over to my place. And wantonness. That's, that's just unhinged, illicit desire. It's desire run free. Like there's nothing that is mooring it for some safety. It's fire that has gone out of the fire pit. Oh man, fire in the fire pit. Let it rage. But when it goes beyond that, oh, the damage that's done. Now, this is the idea of chambering. Come on over. Wantonness. Let the fire rage. Now, we usually look at, okay, so now we're talking about rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, and all of us say amen. And then, and then he continues it on to those things that are not quite so repugnant to us in the church. There are things that oftentimes we look at and we say, mm, that's so bad. Oh, the world is a bad place. But Paul says, hey, listen, a believer is capable of any sin just as, as an unbeliever. And so he says, rioting, drunkenness, chambering, want, wantonness, strife and envying. Strife and envying. He, he mentions sins that, that we find a little bit more acceptable. These are sadly more tolerable in the church. The word for strife here, in Romans chapter 1 verse 29, it's translated as debate. Do you know this is the person that finds a, a reason to debate everything? Okay, so this instruction was given. Well, why do I have to do it that way? Okay, this is what we're going to do. Oh, well, I don't think that that's the best way to do it. Well, this is the plan. This is the policy. This is the action step. Well, well, that doesn't suit what I... This person is going to debate everything. And Paul calls it out here. Now, clearly that list could have been longer. And in other places in Scripture, he adds more detail. But here in this instance, he says, not in strife and envying. Envying, like, why can't I have that? Why isn't this mine? Why has this been withheld from me? He said, not in strife and envy. Paul is saying in very real ways, come on, church, clean up. He called us to wake up, and then he says, okay, these are not the things that are honestly consistent with who you are in Jesus Christ. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Clean up. A couple of weeks ago, in fact, it was, it was not this past Friday, but the Friday before. It was late in the afternoon, Friday evening, one of those very hot Pensacola days. And I was out there in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, uh, grungy shoes, 
and I'm covered in mud. My arms are covered in mud. My, you say, what are you doing? I was working on a drainage area in my backyard. And it needed a dress, so I had dug the sod back, and I rolled the sod back, and then I'm digging it out, and I'm filling it with buckets of dirt because it had washed away, and I am a sweaty, yucky, nasty mess. If you would have seen me, you would not have recognized me, okay? I did not, you would, if you would have recognized me, you would have said, Pastor? Kind of like that, okay? So I'm really a mess. My phone rang, and I answered the phone. And I'm a, I'm a sweaty, yucky mess late in the afternoon. And the phone rang, and I answered the phone, and the sweet lady on the other end of the phone said, Pastor, and as soon as you hear pastor, you start to change modes, okay? You answer a little differently, yes, you know. A pastor, yes. Um, are you coming to the wedding rehearsal? Of course, okay. Well, it was 515 the wedding rehearsal was to begin at 5 o'clock. I live about 15 minutes from where the rehearsal would take place. And I said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Do you believe in miracles? Okay. <laughs> when the Bible says, let us cast off the works of darkness, it's saying, hey, come on, clean up. This is not, this is not how you're supposed to represent yourself Honestly, if I would have just jumped in the car and run to the wedding rehearsal, I would have scared the children, okay? Okay, who's the scary man, mommy? That would have been that kind of a deal. So what do I have to do? I'm telling you, I had to cast off and clean up. And I did so rapidly. And I'm telling you, I do believe in miracles. I made it in 20 minutes, okay? Let's not talk about driving. That's another sermon. But I did make it in a very short amount of time. And I walked in in a manner consistent with, with who I am. I know it's a silly illustration, but, but so often believers, like they are a believer. Th that is who they are. It, it hearkens to, in fact, do you have your Bible open to Romans 13? Flip back a couple pages. Look back at Romans chapter 6. Let's do the connection that Paul is making He's expecting us to know Romans 6 when he gets to Romans 13. But look at, look at Romans 6. Look at verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, listen, should we just live like our dirty old self? And here's his answer, and it is emphatic. He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are. Now, this is important. He's saying this is who you truly are. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Walk as children of light. Okay, here's what he's saying. He said, okay, this is who you used to be, but you're not that person anymore. You, you are buried with him. You are a child belonging to God. So you should walk in a manner consistent with who you are. Really, that's what Paul's saying is, is, is he's saying, let us walk honestly as in the day. Live like who you truly are. One author commenting on this passage of scripture said, Paul was a realist. He knew only too well what dark strongholds the old nature maintains within any believer's heart 
what abominable lusts lurk in the shadows of the soul, awaiting a favorable moment to leap forth with dreadful force. That's a good statement. Paul's a realist. He knows, okay, I'm saved. That doesn't mean I no longer can sin. There's something that is ready to pounce given the opportunity. What Paul's saying is stop providing opportunity. Make not provision for the flesh. Stop providing opportunity for for the way you used to be to, to enforce itself in such a way, to insert itself in such a way that's inconsistent with who you are. Listen, you may have dated a lot of people before you got married, but that's inconsistent with who you are now. You're married. So why in the world would I go ask someone else out if I'm, I'm a different person now? Can you still ask someone out? You can, but it's not consistent with who you are. Paul's saying, all right, I know the, the lure is still there. The desires may still be present, but stop providing opportunity. It's, it's just not consistent with who we are. Again, he's not reviewing all this doctrine, but he is helping us understand something. And it's simply dishonest for a child of God to walk like they are not. Inconsistent for a child of God to walk like they are not a child of God. I don't know if you know the name Rosaria Butterfield, but she was a tenured professor at a public university we don't have time for the, the whole story, but Rosaria Butterfield was living a lifestyle that was inconsistent with the one who created her. She was in a relationship that is, is not a biblical relationship. She shared a bed with a person that doesn't qualify as marriage because the Bible says that male and female created he them. And then he gave them the, the created obligation, the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. That, that, that demands a man and a woman. So she's in a relationship that doesn't qualify and and it's inconsistent with the scriptural mandate. She wrote an article that was published and she said, I got so much response for that. I had two boxes, one for my fan mail and one for my hate mail. And then she said, I had one letter that defied filing. It, It wasn't this like, you're great. And it wasn't this, you know, I hate you. It was a letter from a pastor who just asked me some honest questions. And he did so with a kindness that was unsettling. She said, I threw the letter away, but it kept burning in my mind. And I went back and fished it out of the trash can. She said, it sat on my desk for a week until I finally answered it. And this pastor invited me with his wife for a meal. And they took interest in me. She said, the way I presented myself, the, 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 the way I looked, she said, they, they were not offended. They just took interest in me. And she said, I I began to contemplate and think, and I read the Bible voraciously. I just consumed it. And slowly something happened. Let me read in her words um, what she said was about to take place after she was coming to know Christ. She says, then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make my world right. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, 
And today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother, I have not forgotten the blood Jesus surrendered for this life. And now listen to this. And my former life lurks in the edges of my heart, shiny and still like a knife. My former life lurks in the edges of my heart, shiny and still like a knife. Do you know what the Apostle Paul understands? He understands that the former life of any believer lurks in the edges of our heart. And it's looking for opportunity to re-engage. And so he goes on to this closing point and he says, it's time to dress up. This doesn't take a lot of explanation. He says it very plainly in verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. You know, every don't in the Christian life has a corresponding do. He says, okay, don't do this. This is inconsistent with, you, with who you are. It's not walking honestly. That's not you anymore. He says, okay, but do this. Listen, sometimes, sadly, Christians spend so much time addressing darkness and, and darkness, and, and we're trying to conquer darkness, but we're only doing so with a focus on darkness, and darkness never conquers darkness. So he says, okay, let's... let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what this is? This is light. He's the light of the world. He's the light that comes into our life and he says, now let your light so shine. Now, the only way that we can conquer darkness is through the light of Jesus Christ. And he says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the armor of God. And he says, don't make provision for the flesh that ye may fulfill the lusts thereof. He says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means the Lord is the one who gets to say yes, no, uh, later, never, the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do here? Well, right now I want you to do this. Lord, what do you want me to do here? The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gets the final say. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, he said, that ye put off, the form, the, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There is something to put off and even more important, someone to put on. This is Christ. And as we cover ourselves in him and his lordship, we submit our thoughts to his. Would you like a project? You say, like, oh, this is, this is where I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But sometimes the implementation of, of the Christian walk is challenging. L let me give you a passage or offer a passage to put to memory. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical weapons, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. Okay, well, I, I want to play with this in my mind. 
Oh, what if I did this? And I like thinking about this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing. Okay, this, yeah, this is important to me. Ooh, but that is contrary to what I know to be true about Christ. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of Christ and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What a powerful passage of scripture. You say, you know, I, I want to walk honestly as in the day. This is a wonderful passage to help frame, Lord, how do I do this on a moment by moment basis? To put on something is to be believe a certain way and then to behave accordingly. When we put on Christ, we are reminding both ourselves and others who we truly are. I, I grew up watching my dad, you know, the policeman, head off to work. And he'd have on his uniform. And as he did, he's reminding others who he was. He'd wear his badge that signified his authority. He holstered a weapon, signifying his preparedness to fight should the need arise. All who saw him knew exactly who he was and what he represented. What Paul is saying here is it's time to wake up because there are urgent matters at hand. It's time to clean up and stop living like we are the children of darkness rather than the children of light. And it's time to dress up, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, heading out into a fallen world so that none wonder who do they belong to? They have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. By God's grace and in obedience to his direction, may we wake up, clean up, and dress up putting on the Lord Jesus Christ.